Good morning, Heartland. Um, whoops, we are so glad that you're here, whether you're here in the auditorium, in the atrium, or all you folks out there, wherever you are in the world online, we're just so glad that you have joined us today. Um, my name is Britton Gregory, and I've been on staff here for 12 years, and um, part of my job right now is being a part of our community task force, which is made up of a group of staff members who have a really huge heart for people to find their people. And we've been working hard for a year and a half on a new community strategy. And you just heard from three of our community leaders, and you can find their communities online. They're amazing. The communities all look different, because um, community looks different everywhere that you're at. But we would also like to invite you to our community rally. And that's coming up the evening of November 1st, and it'll be at 7 p.m. online, or here in the auditorium, we'll be at both places. And we would love for you to come hear more detail about that and also get an entire update on where Heartland is going as a church. Um, it should be a fun time to build some community around that. But over the years, so on Sundays, you find me in the hub. Um, I have met many of you and had conversations about your longing to find people and to belong. And as we've been talking about Heartland's core values. One of my personal core values is passionate includer. And what that looks like for me is that for everyone, I deeply want you guys to feel known and have a place that you can call home. To the point sometimes it's a little bit of a burden actually. <laughs> so after conversations with you, many Sundays I've gone home with a little bit of a heavy heart because I've wanted that for you. And somewhere along the way, I found myself missing that too and longing for it. And what I want to share with you today is the process in my story that I went through with God um, when I asked him, hey, what does that look like for me? What does my heart really desire in relationships? And so these are some of the things that I discovered. And they may resonate with you. So this is my story. Um, what I figured out was that I love deep and authentic relationships and conversations. I want to go deep, I don't want to be shallow, and I absolutely love a good laugh. So those are some of the things I was looking for. But within that, I also realized that some of the things tripping me up were that my relational capacity is not limitless, like I may have thought it was, and friends, followers, and likes were actually making me not feel known, but doing just the opposite. And so the questions that came to mind for me was maybe there's more and less when it comes to relationships and numbers. And then also the big question was, how was I going to find it for myself? And this is where I got a dose of medicine that I didn't really enjoy all that much. Um, my friend Jen said, you know, it's kind of like Jesus showed up in a Orange Home Depot apron and said, you can do it and we can help. <laughs> and within that, I realized I was going to have to take a lot of responsibility for my own um, community and finding that. And, um, and then I realized that I had put community in this little bitty box. Um, it was a box that I had put huge expectations on. Um, it was one that I thought you could um, show up to, be handed to, or signed up for, and that was not what I found. It also, I also thought that I could get instant gratification and really deep friendships from showing up once. Um, 
And then the other part of that box was that I thought that I could hand it to you in the hub. And the realization was is I couldn't just hand it to you, even though I wanted to. <laughs> and for that, I'm sorry, because I can't give it to you, but I can help. Um, so here's what I did. I had to figure out what the facts of the situation were for me. And I really figured out it was going to take some time, probably more than I wanted. It was going to take some repeats um, to develop relationships. I had to realize that I don't click with everyone. You know, I like everyone, but we don't have natural affinity for everyone. Yes, I just said that. <laughs> and then I had to release all the expectations on people and community that I had in my heart um, because I knew that was going to set me up with disappointment. Um, so then, though, this is where I went to action. I ramped up my courage. Um, I got out of my comfort zone. And then I stepped into community wherever I was and started to take notes of those relationships and which ones were filling my soul. And here's the key. I started to recognize it. Um, I hadn't had the eyes for it. And maybe you haven't either. I found it kind of everywhere I was. Um, I found it at family dinners. I've got a neighborhood happy hour that's now moved to Zoom, meeting with coffee with friends. I found it in a meeting here at work. Um, it was just kind of everywhere that I was. And I realized that that little box that I had put it in was actually limiting its power and influence in my life. And after that, I took this great big step and I was like, I wanted some core people and I invited a few into my life that I gave permission to speak into it, which is a scary place to be, <laughs> and um, challenge me and help me really grow. And here's what those relationships were to me. They've, some of them have been seasonal, some of them have been years, and some of them I've gotten some scars from, and I've also given a few of those scars. It's just real life. But those relationships, all these things have been cherished and real and um, made my life really rich once I got out of my comfort zone. So today, Shabu's going to come up and he's going to talk to us about uh, community and relationships. And as he does, um, my passionate includer heart <laughs> um, is praying that you will open yourself up to dream with God today. Um, maybe look outside the box that you may have put, in, put community into and start to dream about the relationships and friendships that you really desire. And I just pray that it would inspire you to step out and move into some, dis some discomfort um, to do that. And here's what I do know, just like the orange apron. You guys can do this and we can help. When I say we, it's all of us. You know, we can help each other move out into community. So, let's welcome up Shavu. Thank you, Britton. All right, gear shift. Can I invite you into one of the most awkward experiences of my life? Okay. Those online at home, you ready for, you're gonna feel this moment. This is how awkward this is. Okay, so uh, I had decided, I had dated some girls in high school. Um, they were not Indian girls, and it was just kind of fun high school relationships. But then I entered college and realized, okay, I, gotta, I can't date frivolously. I got I to gotta get married. I want to get married. And so I think, I'm pretty sure that I want to marry an Indian girl. And so I went to this school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I started, 
I set out to find an Indian girl. There were 6,000 students, and there were three Indian girls. <laughs> so I had this super fine filter, right, of like all girls and then Indian girls. And then I had made it a little more narrow than that because they needed to be from South India, where my family was from. They also needed to speak Malayalam, which was a South Indian dialect that I grew up in the home using, and I knew this would make mom and dad happy if I found a girl who spoke Malayalam really well. And, and so I, I got to know each one of the three girls just as an acquaintance, and none of them were, were going to work. Like, I wasn't interested in any of them. So I had to expand my search parameters, okay? So I checked the box Northern India, you know, you know mentally. It was like, we're just going to make our world a little bit bigger. <laughs> and uh, I, it didn't help on campus, at least. But I had this acquaintance here in Kansas City. She was from North India. I didn't really know her at all. We were Facebook friends. And I reached out and set up a, a date over fall break. I asked her out on Facebook. And then we went out on a date uh, during fall break. I was so nervous. Like the drive from Tulsa to Kansas City, I didn't even tell Buzz, my roommate, my best friend. I did not tell him what I was going to be doing that week. I was so nervous. I didn't tell anyone. And, uh, and it was on a Thursday afternoon. I don't know why I chose Thursday afternoon. It's kind of a weird time for a date, but it just gets weirder because I'm driving and our church used to be located at 83rd and Lamar. Uh, and at 83rd and Lamar, there's a, a building. It's now a vineyard church, and it used to be Heartland Community Church. And before that, it was an elementary school. And it had this kind of half-circle drive. And, and uh, I drove by it at 83rd and Lamar, and the coffee shop that I'm headed to is Hattie's in Corinth Square, 83rd and Mission. You've been there. It's a nice, tiny little coffee shop. Currently has a nice, big, expansive outdoor patio. 15 years ago, when this was happening, it was just a really small coffee shop, maybe six or seven tables tops. And I'm driving by on 83rd Street, and I drive past Lamar, and I see Buzz's car at Heartland. I'm like, Buzz, is that Heartland? Uh, he's meeting Isaac. Isaac's my buddy, you know? And, and so Isaac and Buzz are hanging out, and Isaac's car is this green, beat-up, trashy Pontiac that sits on the side parking lot in the same spot near the green dumpster. They, like, look the same color. And, uh, and so as I'm driving by, I kind of turn my head as I'm driving down 83rd towards Knoll and Row and eventually Mission, and I see that Isaac's car is not there. Isaac hangs out in one place, Hattie's. I have this growing sense of doom rising within me. I'm getting closer and closer to Mission in the Somerset left turn to get into that, that parking lot before I get to the coffee shop, and now I find myself in front of Hattie's, and I see Isaac's Pontiac. And this girl, I'm like already a little bit late because I've decided I don't know what we're going to talk about or do. So I went to Walmart that morning and I bought a chess set. <laughs> I don't play chess. I thought maybe this will be fun. We will learn to play chess together on our blind date. <sighs> so I'm now sitting in the parking lot with a plastic wrapped chess set and Isaac's car sitting next to me, knowing that inside this coffee shop sit my best friend, my mentor, and this girl I'm about to go on a date with. And it is a small coffee shop. Everyone's going to hear everything. Everyone's going to see everyone. And I have not told my friend that this is happening. I have not told this girl. She's probably going to think that I've sent out a scouting team in advance of this first date. And so I 
I have to walk in. It's pretext messaging. There's no way to change the location. I have to walk in and I walk in and it is the worst. All right. It goes exactly as it feels right now. It's the worst. We don't go on a second date. I, I never speak to the girl again. That's probably my fault. Sorry on behalf of dudes. Uh, but, but it was just the worst. Now, first date strategy is what I want you to grab there and learn. Hopefully you have a better first date strategy than I did. <laughs> And strategy is really important, right? Because without strategy, you left feeling like you feel right now for me, those of you with empathy. <laughs> Some of you are like laughing, and that's great. But having a strategy is really important, and that's what we're talking about today, our church strategy, in fact. And, and strategy is so important. It's, it's important for Andy Reid, and it's important for Apple because we get Super Bowls and smartphones. When, when this strategy is well thought out and executed, good things happen. We feel good about the product. And some of you are wondering, strategy feels kind of businessy. And aren't we in church? Like, shouldn't we just pray all the time? Shouldn't that be our strategy? Well, we'll get to that today. And I, I, wanna, I wanna share with you um, three scenes from the life of Jesus that show us some of his strategy. And they're strategies that we've found tried and true over time and that we have made our clear strategy as a church. If Jesus had lived 2,000 years later, roll with me, during a pandemic in 2020, if Jesus had lived now, I'm curious, like if he's here, how he's spending his time, what he's up to. Uh, and here's a scene from his first year on the job. And so Jesus was 30 years old. I'm, I'm 38. So like I'm, I'm technically older than human Jesus's body. Like, like he was a young man, 30 to 33 is kind of the, year, the three years of his uh, ministry career. And so at the age of 30, he begins, like he spent 30 years preparing. And at the age of 30, this is the scene from how he invited people into his life. It's in Mark chapter one. Uh, and Jesus does this. He walked beside the sea of Galilee. He saw Peter and his brother, Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and followed him. Jesus chooses a few people. This was a big, vulnerable request to say, follow me. Like, it meant that you had a life worth following, that you were somebody worth following. And they could have said no, and they didn't, and their lives and our world was never the same because they said yes. And Jesus spent so much time with these three, Peter, James, and John, the three mentioned here. There were nine other disciples, yes, but he, he spends most of his time. This is his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They're the ones he, he processes things with. They're the ones he shares the meanings of stories with. They're the ones he invites on special field trips to really special mountaintop moments. They moved out on God's mission together. Jesus, being the leader, invites these men to follow him, and they begin to move out on mission together. Jesus was the leader, the organizer, the shaping agent of their time together. Do you have a, a friend like that? I hope you do. I, I have a friend like that. His name is Ben, and I'm in close contact with Ben weekly. And Ben actually organizes our time. Uh, there's four of us dudes and our wives, and he sends out like this calendar just to figure out when we're all available during the month so that we could, we could connect. We play disc golf together. We've, 
we've played Zoom spades together <laughs> as couples, and it's just fun because Ben takes the lead. He's the leader of organizing our time together. When the pandemic first hit, one of Ben's first questions was, how's everyone doing financially? Like, does anyone need some help? That, that's the kind of friend that everyone needs in their life, somebody that is not wealthy. Ben is not wealthy, but Ben is sacrificial. And he's a part of what I consider the church, the people of God living out God's mission in the world. All right, so that's scene one. Scene one shows you Jesus creating the first church, creating the context of what the church will be, and he's inviting people to join his father's mission together. Here's scene two. And before we move on to scene two, I want you to see this passage from John chapter five, verse 19, because should praying be our only strategy? Well, in fact, for Jesus, it seems to be that the place of prayer is where he gets the names for who to invite to follow him. Like he's on his knees in prayer, and from that place, he finds these 12 names. And there's a 13th person that he doesn't invite to be in his inner circle because he's got clear instructions from the Father. Here's what John 5:19 says. Jesus is speaking about himself in the third person and says this, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Excuse me, doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Prayer is primary for Jesus. And he chooses a few people and he, he moves out with them. And so I want you to see on this first shape, if it's not already been up there, just a triangle that has Jesus' name in it, along with Peter and James and John, and he just moves out with a few. They're deeply known in this setting. They know when the other one has needs, and they know how they're going to carry God's kingdom out to other places. Well, here's scene two, Mark chapter two, just the very next chapter, and here's what it says. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus takes his group of friends, and since he's the leader, he's got a strategy, a plan. He's going to spend time with people who want to hear what he has to say. People that like lean forward to hear like his stories. That's who he wants to keep speaking to, the ones who are interested in what he has to say. Those are the people he, who he spends time with. One of them is, is Levi, who works for H&R Block except it's a corrupt H&R block because they take whatever they want from the people and give whatever they're supposed to to Rome. And so this is, this is a man, Levi, who's very wealthy but has no business being wealthy. And he's considered crooked and a thief. And this is who Jesus spends his time with, Levi's buddies. We talked earlier in this series, like, make no mistake, Jesus is with people that you think are bad people. Those are his buddies. And he gets all sorts of nicknames as a result. But he, it's Jesus' strategy to have a few close partners in life, close, close partners, and to figure out who their friends are and simply be with them. He wants to be with his friends' friends. It's not rocket science. It's a pretty simple, bold, difference-making strategy. 
As many people as can fit in a house, it seems like at times, as you watch this story of Jesus unfold. And at one point, like people don't fit in the house anymore and they're climbing on top of the roof. There's this sense that this is what Jesus is doing. He's creating households, communities, where people are experiencing God. And Jesus takes his few, like he doesn't hang out forever at Levi's house, but he takes Levi and says, hey, Levi, your buddies are going to stay here, but I have something else for you to do. And they go to different parts of the country and they create communities everywhere they go. Jesus has a clock ticking, by the way. He's 30 years old and there are three years left before he's gone from this place. And he needs to do his part of putting this strategy of God's rescue plan in place. John 5, 19, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus sees his father creating community for tax collectors and sinners, and so he does the same. He cannot do anything different than what he sees the father doing. Prayer is primary for Jesus. He doesn't just create communities willy-nilly. Like he is focused and intentional about every step. Here's the next picture I want to show you. And it includes the first picture, which is Jesus with his few. But then it also includes Jesus creating a community. It's the second part of our strategy, step into a community. And for Jesus, it's him, tax collector, sinners, and his, his few are with him. So if you could picture even just a smaller subset triangle within that community, that's Jesus' few that are leading these communities together. Well, here's the third and final scene from, uh, from Mark that... Uh, that sheds light on some of Jesus' strategy. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 17. Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. This is church, by the way. So he's entered the temple, which was their context for a physical building that represented where they went to church, even though the term didn't exist yet. He entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus was so passionate about church, about the temple the central place of worship for God's people. He was there when he wasn't supposed to be there at the age of 12. If you remember a few weeks back, we talked about 12-year-old Jesus would rather be at the temple than with his parents on certain days. And, and here he is at age 30 again, and every Sunday, every Sabbath day between 12 and 30 years of age, this is where he is. Nazareth, his hometown, had a synagogue that he went to faithfully. We find him reading from the scroll of Isaiah there. And so we know this was a pattern for Jesus to every seven days and more often likely to show up at the temple. John five nineteen: the son can do nothing by himself. He can, only, he can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Prayer is primary for Jesus. It's so primary that it's what he calls church prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus at 12 and 30 had this fierce passion. This threefold strategy, I want you to see these three shapes just on one slide, but it is for Jesus to move out with the few, to step into a community, to create these communities, and then show up at the temple. And for us, we've changed some of the words to say, hey, show up at a service, whether that's on site or online. Step into a community and move out with the few. And I want to unpack some of those things a little bit further now. We think it's a, a strategy that's actually pandemic proof, if you will. 
Because right now, if you can hear my voice, that means you're here or you're online and you've shown up. The first simple part of our strategy, just show up at a service and do it every week. We know we've done some research. I've done some personal research, Pew and um, Gallup polls that just say church attendance is struggling, like over the course of five to 10 years, not like five to eight months, like in the long, the long range, your church attendance is struggling. Half our people come half the time is what most pastors say. That's regular church attendance. Well, there's a sense that Jesus' regularity at the temple was a little bit more consistent than yours and mine. It's my job, so I am here every seven days. <laughs> but for some reason, church priority, church attendance is just different in our world. And I think the challenge of Jesus is to be more regular and consistent with that. Step into a community. For us, a community we've defined as 15 to 30 people. Maybe your house can accommodate 40 in a non-pandemic season and you want to squish that many people in. But 15 to 30 people is small enough and large enough, small enough to care about each other, but large enough to dare and like do something with your community. And so these spaces are even defined by the number of people that could attend them, which is a very important issue in our current day and age. Like how many people are gathering? Well, that's a public phase is that first circle where we show up at a service. And the next one is, is limited by 15 to 30 people because we think that's where you can really get to know someone. And it doesn't have this feel of, I don't know who's here anymore, but it, it feels like an, an extended family. Lastly, move out with a few people. This could be anything. Maybe you have a few friends that you decide to do uh, gifts from the heart with and you get involved around some missional focus. Maybe it's just a, you need accountability and friendship in this season and you do that with a few people. Like I have with, with Ben and Scott and Nate, just four guys who we know each other, we're praying for each other and we, we, have, we have really important conversations amongst the four of us. You may not do all three of these, by the way. That's not like my hope. Our hope is that you would check everything off the box. But perhaps you stepped into a community and you found a few people there that you wanted to go a lot deeper with. Or maybe you discovered a few people and this is what you chose to, to do in this season where friendships are really hard to maintain and important to maintain. That you just said, I'm gonna move out with a few people. I'm gonna show up at a service every week. And those are the two parts of the strategy that fit your life right now. Again, it's, it's about John five nineteen. What is God doing and how is he inviting you to join what he's doing? What do you see the father doing and what does that look like when it gets played out into your life? Are you still with me in the room? Yeah, we're talking strategy. That can be like a PowerPoint presentation. I don't want it to feel that way. All right, okay. <clears throat> All right, so here, here's the deal. It's not what I would do. We're, we're, we're at 10.02. I want five more minutes of your time. Can I have five more minutes? Okay. You didn't say yes, but I'm going to assume that you're with me unless you get up and leave or click X on your browser. It's not what I would do, this strategy. If I'm Jesus, here's what I do. There are 300 million people present in uh, um, the world at the time where Jesus in AD 30, like 300 million people. America has 328 million people, so I would do a 300 million person march. I would wave a magic staff, and we would all get on a party bus to heaven. This is what I would do if I was Jesus. I don't understand his strategy. And so I, I asked some of our wisest people, a 14-year-old, a child, why, why Jesus did this. And his name was Max, and this is about eight or nine years ago, and I was discipling Max, and I just said, Max, why do you think Jesus did this? 
like 12 people, 70 in this kind of extended circle of social relationships. And, and Max says, I don't know. We were playing a board game. He goes, I don't know. Like maybe he just wanted us to be able to do what he did. <laughs> I was like, oh, snap. Yeah, that's right. That's a great answer, Max. You're right. Like maybe he wanted his strategy to be replicated and not something that only the son of God to do could do, but something that any one of us could do. Disciple a few people, move out with a few people, step into a community a little larger than that, and then just show up to hear gospel and be the, be the church. I met Bob and Annette about 10 years ago at the back door at Heartland. Bob and Annette had two boys and, and they had just decided their marriage was on the, on the brinks and they decided they needed church and they needed to do something together to save their family. They showed up at a service. They found the teaching and the worship really engaging. And in the atrium, they ended up meeting other people. And they stepped into multiple communities for men's ministry, for, for women's ministries, and, and all sorts of other things. And, and they became known. And, and then they made a few really deep relationships. I remember they walked in the back doors. And then we were in a really small room over here just a couple years later doing a vow renewal. It was like the journey from the back door to the front door. And all through the journey through the atrium, they were meeting people, spending time with people, and it was so important. Guys, it saved their marriage. Their boys got connected in our kids and student ministries and, and through relationships, through this strategy that we didn't 10 years ago have articulated, they became devoted followers of Jesus. They are the church, the people of God living out his mission in the world. Now, is our strategy perfect? Nope. <laughs> but it's the one we think that will help us become the church among the unchurched. We'll do that by making space for building relationships to make Jesus first. And we're making space for each of these relationships on site, online. And, uh, and like I said earlier, I think it's pandemic proof. I could be wrong, but, but you're already doing the show up. If you're here, you can hear my voice. And for the community aspect, 15 to 30 people, you might feel safe with like gathering with 15 to 30 people right now. And that's in your zone of comfort. And we have 27 communities online that you could check out. Some of them will fit like who you are and some of them won't, but there's 27. And if none of them do, I'd consider asking you to pray in, in a John 5:19 prayer saying, God, what are you doing? Are you creating a 28th community that you want me to lead? And is that my next step? And then for moving out with a few people, this is something that I believe nearly 100% of us are okay moving out with a few people right now, given pandemic and all the places that we're in, because that looks like a Zoom hangout. That looks like a driveway fire pit outside. That just, that's something that we can all do. Now, um, the community page will give you access to 27 communities. The move out with a few strategy, finding a few people, we don't have a way to give you access to that. And so here's what I'd suggest you do. John 5, 19, just ask God, God, who are you putting in my life? Who, who do you want me to make a vulnerable ask to and say, hey, could I spend time with you? Because I really need a friendship right now. Our care team would love to step in, uh, in, in, in it with you if you have some really tender places around that right now. Depression and anxiety are, are at the forefront right now in a lot of our lives. And 
And our care team would love, love, love to help you take next steps if that's something that you're struggling with. The info's here on the, on the page, on the, on the screens. So my, my last question for you is this, is how do you see yourself in our church's strategy? Show up, step in, move out. How do you see yourself in that strategy, your family in that strategy? And the, the line from the first song we sang today, there's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. I'm not backing down from any giant. I know how this story ends. I know how this story ends. And the chorus says, I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. There's a sense that these battles are big when they're us. You know, it's me against my friendless state of life. It's me and my lonely, broken marriage. It's me in this big church that doesn't know anyone. But the battle doesn't belong to you. Like you don't get the credit when you win the battle. Our hope, our deepest hope is that God gets the credit when he wins his battle. And so that looks like hard, really repetitive, important work called prayer. And so I just want to read John 5.19 one more time just as a, uh, a challenge, an encouragement because it's not on you, it's on God to provide for you and he wants to. And as a prayer to end our time. So would you read it with me? And let's do this just, uh, if you're at home, would you read this verse aloud? We've heard it three times already this morning. If you're here in the room, would you say it aloud with me as we read it? John 5, 19. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And so do we. You're free to go. Thanks for being here. Amen.